I told you about tonight, last week, and I would, if you would, please turn with me to to your Bibles, the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. In Acts chapter 16, we have followed the the journey now in his second mission journey of Paul. Paul and Silas, and then along with them, was Timothy. Paul brought Timothy along because Timothy, let's face it, he just loved this young man. He was like his right-hand man. And Timothy was really special to Paul. Along with Timothy and Silas and Paul, Luke joined them. We saw that by Luke writing, We and Us, and all the events that took place. And so we saw that they went to this place in Macedonia. If you remember it all, look with me at chapter 16. Look at verses 9 and 10. If you remember it all, who was it that called and, and told Paul to go to Macedonia? Do you remember without looking? Paul had a vision. God asked him to go to Macedonia. Look. In verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, Paul, saying, come over to Macedonia, help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And yet... As we saw last week, here we find Paul and Silas in verses 22, 23, and 24 in jail, beaten by rods, placed in stocks in the most uncomfortable of situations, waiting upon their fate. Look again with me at verses 22 to 24. The crowd rose up together against them, against Paul, Silas, perhaps Timothy and Luke, but for sure Paul and Silas. The chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, Let's get real. We're in church, but let's, for goodness sakes, be real about our faith. Until we can become real about our faith, we'll never be able to answer any of the questions that we might have about our faith. Number one, some of us would find ourselves in this situation after God Himself called us to go to Macedonia. Might be inclined to say, well, God, you know, in these stocks, been beaten, scared to death, thanks a lot. You know that I tried to go this way, that way, and the other. No, no, you wanted me here. And I came. Now what? Is this the way you treat those that follow you with all of their hearts? No wonder there aren't more people to come to know you. 
I can hear myself really complaining. Why did I trouble to come here in the first place? Paul and Silas were barely on their first missionary stop in Philippi, in Macedonia. And here they find themselves the victim of false charges, beaten, locked up in the innermost part of the prison, in stocks, waiting their fate. So what did they do? Whine? Complain? Blame God? Give up? No. No. What we see that they did is incredible. And you and I must remember, Paul and Silas are just two human beings, much like you and me. What set them apart? What gave them the heart to go through what they are going through? I propose to you that I have the answer. I propose to you today that I will give you an insight on how to deal with circumstances that seem to be spinning out of control. Let's read and pray first. Let's read, actually, let's read from verses 22 to verse 31. In verse 22, it said, The crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Verse 24, He, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. No, hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer had been aroused out of sleep, He had seen the prison doors opened. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he, the guard, fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your household. This is perhaps one of the most incredible places in Scripture that you and I will ever read because of what took place. Let me tell you what I'm going to tell you in a moment. When this gentleman, this jailer, rushed in, now he is scared to death. 
He knew that if they left, he would have to be executed in their place. So he drew his sword, as you saw, quickly wanted to kill himself. You know why? He didn't want to go through the torture that they were going to go through. He figured his death would be a lot easier than the death he would receive from the chief magistrates. And so he says, when Paul says, do yourself no harm, don't hurt yourself, we're here. All of us are here. He says, what must I do to be saved? What does Paul tell him? Clean up your act. You've been treating people unkindly. You need to go to church more often. You need to give. You need to financially support missions. Paul says none of that. Look at it closely. He says none of that. He does not know this gentleman's character. He does not know this gentleman's background. He could have been married 18 times. He could have been the most worst scoundrel on the face of this earth. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Not only you, but even your household, everyone who believes. This door for salvation is open to every single one of us. If ever you've read a place in Scripture that boils down what true salvation is all about, it is here. You must remember, you must remember, you cannot let it go. Paul did not know this jailer's background. He only knew, Paul only knew the credibility of his Lord and Savior. And so Paul, gave him the only option that Jesus Christ gave Paul to those that wanted to follow Jesus Christ. Believe. Believe. Father, for some of us in this room, for some who are listening over our our audio uh, recording of this, they... They might be mind-boggled by the thought that salvation could come that simply. And yet, Father, there is nothing more to it than what Paul said. If there were more, he would have said it. That man wanted salvation. Paul did not know that man. And he gave him the only options that you have given to all of us who want to be saved, and that is to believe in you, to trust in you. And so, Father, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things about who you are this Memorial Day weekend. Open up our eyes so that we might see more of what we are going through as our circumstances and, and see how and why we can follow you and trust in you all of our circumstances, regardless how life looks like it might be spinning out of control. May we trust in you. Dear Father, please move me aside. Allow us to see these wonderful words that we have just read. 
words that you gave Paul to say. He spoke under your authority because you had ordered him what to say concerning salvation. This isn't Paul's idea about a church. It's yours, dear Father. Given to us through and by your Son who took the pain of our death, who took the pain of our sin, nailed it upon himself on that cross, shed his blood so that we might have salvation. May we take it seriously, Father. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, they didn't whine. They didn't complain. So I couldn't have been a missionary with them. Oh, Paul would have hated my guts. I think he would have, if he could have, elbowed me with an, and knocked me out. Just shut up, let me pray and sing. I want you to note something very interesting. Very interesting, folks. Verse 25. About midnight, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And it says, this is not a throw-in, the prisoners, those who were also in this prison with them, were listening to them. The Greek word for listening is intense. It means that they were listening intently. They were trying to take in every word and every song that was sung, wondering what in the world is going on over in that cell. What it ought to do for those of us who are serious about our faith, it, uh, it ought to remind all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ that the world is intently watching us to see how we respond in whatever circumstance we might find ourselves, how we respond in difficult times, how we respond in success, the way you and I respond to these issues can play a major role in how others will respond to our telling them about our Savior. Our response holds our credibility in its hands. How people envision you will be sometimes very wonderfully and sometimes, very sadly, will be their picture of Jesus Christ. I've had people say to me, if being a Christian is being like you, I don't know that I want to be it. I've had others say to me, I want to follow your Savior. How we handle our circumstances is very important. Their attitude in this prison, after having been bit, beaten by rods, put in stocks, their attitude provided a powerful testimony for the transforming grace that overtook the lives of Paul and Silas. When I got to this place in Scripture, the question that boggled me was how could they praise God under such difficult circumstances? 
My only conclusion is they seemed to understand what many of us forget. And that is, praising God does not depend upon our circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. If you can get there quick enough, please. If not, let me read it to you. Very simple verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice always. If you want to have a verse that you want to memorize and say, I, I memorized the verse in the Bible, it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pretty easy. You got that one done. You can be a scholar. I've memorized scripture. Rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. If you want to get really, pra- really uh, bold, then you can remember verse 17. And pray, what? Without ceasing. Let me explain. That doesn't mean you babble all day long, just praying out of control. Praying without ceasing means that when you come to a situation, your first response ought to be to ask God for help or to praise God or whatever the case may be. I saw something very strange on my drive here today. I was coming down the road and there was police cars all over the place and it was slowing down the, 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 the traffic, really bottlenecked. And when I drove up, what I saw was this car, its whole front end had been caved in. It really caved in. You won't believe what I saw. In the middle of the road was a deer about that big, laying on the ground. A deer had rushed out into the road and this car hit its head on. And this poor deer was there. And, and I, I, my first response was, Dear Lord, dear Lord, I pray that nobody was hurt. And it, it, it just, it, I, I didn't realize how, how sensitive I was to animals until I saw that. I just felt so hurt for that animal laying there in the middle of this, the street. But my first response was right. I prayed. That's what praying without ceasing is. I prayed for the person that was in the car. I, I prayed that nobody got hurt and that everything would be well. That's praying without ceasing. Not necessarily praying driving up because I didn't know it was what I was going to confront, but once it happened, once I saw what happened, the first thing out of my mouth was to pray. But then it says this in the 17th verse, in 18th verse, excuse me, It says, verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything. In everything. That means everything, folks. Give thanks. Because this is God's will for you and me in Christ Jesus. Praising God does not depend upon our circumstances. In everything, we are to give thanks to God. Paul understood suffering as you go back to um, Acts. I'm going to quote a couple of verses to you, and, and, and you can look on the board. You can see that the next, next one we'll come to will be 2 Corinthians, and then we'll come to Galatians and, and Romans. And If you want to kind of thumb and find them, and, and let me just quote them to you, because they're just verses that, that will confirm what we are saying. But Paul understood suffering firsthand. 
He experienced affliction so severe in his life over and over again that he at one point despaired of his life. He, he, he figured, I'm, I'm a dead man. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, he says he was burdened, so that they despaired even of life. They figured they're done. It's over with. They're dead. So Paul understood suffering. And if you read in 2 Corinthians, you'll see he suffered over and over again. Again, the question still boggles my mind. How could they praise God under such terrible circumstances? God called them to Macedonia. God was going to give them a ministry. They had just begun, and here they are in prison, beaten, in stocks, waiting upon their fate. And the answer to this dilemma is the key to being able to praise God and to have joy in every circumstances of our lives is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Joy is a part of this filling, this fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy, peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You see, the problem with most of us sad and miserable Christians is not necessarily our circumstances but it is the lack of living our lives as spirit-controlled believers. I want you to listen closely to this. This might be the most important thing I'll ever say to you in my tenure here as the pastor of this church, as one of you. How you and I live our lives is directly related to our concept of God. How you and I live our lives will become directly related to our concept of God. No one's faith, your faith, my faith, is not greater nor lesser than our concept of God. What we will see and learn from Paul and Silas, but mostly Paul, is that they did not base their belief in God on their circumstances. That they were in prison was meaningless to them. Their circumstances did not dictate the depth, the strength, and the, and the passion and the ministry that God gave them. Instead, they evaluated their circumstances in light of what they knew to be true about their God. Let me repeat that. They did not base their belief in God on their circumstances, but rather they evaluated their circumstances in light of what they knew about their God. And He was greater than this prison cell. He was greater than the conflict that they were going through, the pain that they were feeling. You see, it was Paul who wrote, 
in Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. Is that your life? I'm saying to you, it is. You need to understand and believe it. I need to understand and believe it. We need to believe that God will cause all things to work together for our good when we are called according to His purpose. When we live according to His will. When we understand what it means to be a Spirit-filled believer. You know what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian? It's as simple as this. If there is sin in your life, confess it. If there is an area in your life that you have done wrong, repent from it. The moment you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, the moment you confess it, the moment you repent, He says He is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, at that moment in time, the moment you confess your sins, you are a Spirit-filled believer. Until the next time that you sin and you don't deal with that sin immediately, you then walk the tightrope, the line of falling a little bit more away from the Lord. He never leaves us, but we become more and more carnal and we become less and less Spirit-filled believers. And we become susceptible to our circumstances instead of believing in our God. Paul and Silas were stripped, they were beaten, they were placed in stocks. And in spite of this dismal situation they chose by an act of their will to praise and worship God. I ask you, I ask you, think about it. They're human beings. They're not different much than you and me. Do you believe in the very depth of your soul that they felt like worshiping God at this moment in time? I say to you, probably not. But let's face it. They were hurting They were tired. They were more than likely, like you and I might be, scared to death. But their response, their response to worship was a decision of their will, not their feelings. They chose to worship their God. You see, no matter your or my circumstances... You and I can choose to praise God. And in so doing, we might then have the privilege of seeing others who watch us intently come to Jesus Christ because of our example of how we live. And so what happens? They're praising God. Verse 26, an earthquake hits the the place. A great earthquake hits the place so that the foundations of this prison house is shaken. And immediately, my goodness, all the doors come flying open of the prison, and everyone's chains fell off of them. I want you to note something, believers. Not only were the chains falling off of Paul and Silas, But for those of you that do not trust in God yet, everyone there that was in that prison, and you can bet your life, not everyone there was a believer. Everyone's chains fell off of them as well. And all of the doors were open to everyone. 
Everyone benefited from the blessings that were poured out upon Silas and Paul. With all due respect, hear it over and over again. We Christians are the one safe place that people can be politically incorrect. We are the one group that no one has to worry about anyone losing their job because saying the Christians are a bunch of jerks. They don't have to worry. But with all due respect for those of you who do not believe, if it wasn't for us Christians, there's no telling what fate you would be in right now in this world in which we live. You are guarded by the prayers of some very faithful people. And for the sake of Christ Almighty, do not take your Christian friends for granted. So when God released Peter way back in Acts chapter 12, he sent an angel. Do you remember? An angel came, unloosened all of his chains and says, leave. You know, he walked out of the place. God sent an angel to to release Peter in Acts chapter 12, verse 7 through the rest of the chapter. When it... By the way, if, it, if ever you'll note in the notes, sometimes I write down Acts chapter 12, verse 7, and I'll put a dash and two Fs. That means forward. That means read forward because more of that, that verse, more of that chapter will explain what took place. Just whenever you see the FF, that means forward. But God used in Acts chapter 12 an angel. But here, here what did he use? Is there an angel there? No. What? Earthquake. Don't miss the point. God will use both the supernatural, an angel, and the natural, an earthquake. All and everything is under the control of an almighty God. Everything is. Your size, your understanding, your... Your belief in God will dictate to you what your circumstances are like. If you have a little God, then your circumstances will be sometimes mind-boggling. If you know and worship a great God, then your circumstances will be meaningless. Knowing that He's in control, that He causes all of these things to work together for good to those of us who know and love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And so when the jailer, in verse 27, saw what had happened, he knew exactly his fate. He knew that if the prisoners escaped, no matter what the cause was, earthquake or an angel, didn't matter, his fate would was that he would pay with his own life if they left. If he lost one prisoner, their fate would fall upon him. In Acts chapter 12, verse 19, the first half of the verse, it said, Herod had searched for Peter. Peter left. The angel let let him go. And the, the jailers didn't know where he was. And so it said, when Herod, who had searched for Peter and did not find him, he examined the guards who were there to watch over him, and he had the guards, he ordered that the guards be led away to be executed. They died in the place of Peter. 
And so, rather than to anticipate his own torturous end of life, this jailer drew his sword and wanted to, I guess, put the sword on the ground and just fall on it. Kill himself quickly as possible. So he wouldn't put his hands in the fate of those who would torture him and kill him. But Paul, Paul, realizing that this guy is about to do himself in, said, hey, wait, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. Nobody's left. And now, the life, the words, the songs of praise, the prayers that Paul and Silas used while they were in prison were now useful, not only for them, but more importantly, it was useful for God. Because the jailer now wanted to know and wanted to have what they had. He says in verse 30, what must I do? What do I need? What do I have to do to be saved? How in the name of your God can I become like you? So Paul says, go to church for crying out loud. Straighten your life out. Treat your wife better. Don't cheat so much at work. Start giving money. That's always... <laughs> what must I do, Paul, to be saved? Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. And not only you, but any and everybody. You and your household. Whoever's in your home. They believe they'll be saved. It's as simple as that, folks. If it was more dip, if, if Christianity was more deep than that, by golly, you and I would read it here. But it's not. Your faith our faith, our outcome in this life in which we live right now, when we die, if in fact there is a heaven, and if in fact there is a hell, there is very real criteria of where, where people will go and who will go where. And it says that those of us who have eternal life will have eternal life because of our belief in Jesus Christ and those that choose not to believe in him will go to hell. Simple as that. People say, ooh, very mean spirited pastor. You're talking about turn and burn, aren't you? No, I'm not. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you the truth. By the grace of God Almighty, you got a guy up here that's not afraid to tell you the truth. And you need to know if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're lost. And if you believe in him, you have everlasting life. You'll be saved. 